You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. Welcome to the Live Different Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Wilson, and we have recorded over 100 episodes of the Live Different Podcast available on iTunes and all those other fun places where you might get a podcast. But uh, because we love building community, we love to be here on Facebook when it works, but it is working. So we're excited to have you. Cameron, how you doing? Good, Matt. Good to talk to you again. I can't believe we were talking just before we went live that I think we first talked around 10 years ago now. So it's been amazing to watch the the growth of your business and the scale of mine as well. It's been fun. Yeah, it's been it's been really fun. I remember we interviewed you for under30ceo.com. And at that time, uh, you had just brought a 1-800-GOT-JUNK from something like $2 million to uh, – a hundred million. And yeah, you were, you were teaching the secrets of, of how you did that. So that was uh, pretty, pretty cool to hear. And now for the last 10 years, you've been, you've been an author and a speaker and you're one of the people who I started digging around for your bio. And it was like, where does it end? I was okay. Fortune, New York times, Forbes lecture at MIT. Then all of a sudden, uh, you knocked out four books. You had double, double, double about doubling your revenue and your profit. One called Meeting Sucks, which uh, I love. Then you wrote Mir- A Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs with Hal, Hal El- Elrod. And then you got this new one, uh, Vivid Vision, on, on showing people the shared vision for the future. So h- how the heck do you fit that all in uh, in 10 years, Cameron? Sleep is something that's really overrated. You know, sleep is overrated. No, it's just, it's, it's, I'm very, very clear on where I'm going, where I'm, what I'm building. And so I say yes to all the right opportunities and I execute on those. And I say no to a lot of the miscellaneous opportunities. So it's funny that you mentioned, you know, where does it stop and seeing the unfortunate stuff. I'm literally in this, this edition of Fortune magazine that's on the the shelves today. um, I guess if you're watching it where we're recording it, so April of 2018, um, I'm in that physical print edition of Fortune, but I, I know how to go after the press to drive my vision. I know what books to put out to drive my vision. I know my core purpose of helping entrepreneurs make their dreams happen. Everything is, is focused for me around my core purpose, my my vivid vision of where I'm going and just kind of executing. And I think it's just been that. I've also been lucky. Like I've, I've surrounded myself with, I'm in four different masterminds and um, and I go to these mastermind groups and invest in my own growth religiously. And I think that's something that's, help me as well as I realize I'm not the smartest person. And if I surround myself with really smart people, you know, they'll help me grow. So Excellent. Um, well, you're also one of those people who I can't figure out what to ask first. But uh, if, if everybody following along, uh, they might, might have heard of the Miracle Morning, right? And you talked about specifically being very clear on where you're going. And it sounds like you start every morning like that. And we can talk about the tools and tips and, and uh, more of the tactics for, for the morning and all of that, maybe a little bit later. But, but I just want to ask you in general, how do you get clear on your own vision with so much coming your way? I think that I just want to say hi quickly to Gabe Mueller, who's uh, part of our COO Alliance, and also Sean Stevenson, a good friend of mine from Scottsdale. Um, so the, the, the clarity of vision is why I codified it in my book, Vivid Vision, that just launched. Um, the idea is to lean out into the future three years from now and describe what my company looks and feels like three years from today and describe every aspect of it as a four or five page written description of my company in its finished state three years from now. 
So when I know what it looks like, I can then reverse engineer it. Very similar to building a house. If, if I want to build a home, I could give $2 million to a contractor and say, build me a dream home. And I'd come back a year later and go, what the hell have you done? He's like, well, I built you a dream home. I'm like, that doesn't look like what I wanted. So if I don't share what I'm looking for with the contractor, he can't do the plans. He might build me a really modern house. And I wanted more of a craftsman style. Um, it's the same with your business. When you describe your business three years from now, like I described the COO Alliance in really clear detail of what it looks like, feels like, and acts like three years from now, everyone around me can conspire to help make it come true. You know, Sean Stevenson will push out the vivid vision to his whole tribe because he's excited about it. And then they'll see it and they'll help me make it happen. But if I'm not clear on where I'm going, then I say yes to the wrong opportunities and I get distracted. Sure. And, and how do you deal with uh, those type of distractions? Do you just say, hey, if this isn't part of the three-year plan, forget it? That's it. When you're really clear on it's kind of like the Cheshire Cat from Alice in Wonderland. They said, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. And so I, because I have this clarity of what I'm building and what it looks like, I'm really, really focused on the right opportunities and I'm very against all the wrong opportunities. So I was just invited to a, an event um, over in Europe that's gonna be an amazing event, but it's not my focus. You know, it's too far away. It's gonna to require too much time away from my business and my family. It's, it's the European market where I'm really not focusing on growth and execution right now. So I just said no to it. Even though I wanted to go, I was able to say no. Now, in the same vein, I go to the main stage TED conference every year. You know, I'll be at the main five-day TED starting on Tuesday. Um, that's a huge yes for me because it's filled with all of the right connectors and the sneezers and the next level of people that I want to bring into the COO Alliance, as an example. Okay, that, that makes a, a lot of sense. Um, and if you have an opportunity that isn't necessarily part of your three-year vision, sure, you, you know where you're going, but something else pops up, uh, a mastermind group pops up, and that's going to be a large chunk of time. How, do you, how can you tell if something is aligned with your vision or not? Sure. So I've created something called the decision filter. And the decision filter took Dan Sullivan's idea of the impact filter and added to it where you look at the idea, you decide what the impact is going to be on your business and what success would look like. And then I just look at the ROI how much time will be involved in making it happen? How much money will be involved in making it happen? How many people would be involved in making it happen? Will it drive revenue? Will it drive profit? Will it drive customer engagement? Will it drive um, employee engagement? And based on that decision, then I'll know whether it's a yes or a no. So I could see a really big opportunity. Um, and if it feels right, and, and in that analysis, then I'll go towards that direction. But it's kind of like turning a battleship a little bit. Okay. Right? I'm, not, I'm not gonna completely pivot but I'll spot that opportunity. I'll at least analyze that opportunity. But I won't just go with my gut and go, oh, it's a good idea. It has to be a good idea that, that has enough ROI, or again, it's a distraction. You know, like speaking for the government, my, my speaking fee now is 30,000 to go and speak to a normal event, plus travel. The government wants to pay 30,000 for me to come and speak, I'm gonna say no. Because there's no one in that audience I wanna connect with. There's really no one in that audience is gonna become a customer for me. And even though the 30000 would be nice to collect as a check, I'd be better off staying and working in my business or with my current customers or growing my current vision or hanging out with my friends and family, right? Whereas another one will be, like recently I was invited last year to speak at Baby Bathwater. It wasn't really on my radar, but when I looked at the people who were going, the connections I was going to make, 
some of my clients that were going to be there. I was like, hell yeah, I'll go do it. And it's turned out to be a fantastic move for me. Okay. Uh, and I'm looking at some of the people who are, are coming in right here on, on Facebook Live. I think we should, we should shout a couple of them out. And also, uh, I have a follow-up question for you because this will help us get to know who exactly the audience is. Uh, we've got Amanda Goolsby. She's been on the podcast and is a, a business owner herself. We've got Eric, our uh, former producer of the podcast and uh, product development on Under 30 Experiences. Russell Comer from ExcelHelp.com, Pam No, a former traveler of ours, Mallory Barber. We've got Brian coming in, uh, Rebecca, my friend from San Jose. Uh, you got a friend there, Gabriel. I think you shouted him out. Quentin Muller, who has been on a lot of um, – yeah, he's – I used to play tech football with him, Cameron, in Central Park with all a bunch of startup kids. Uh, in so, so tons of people and, and people from – People who have uh, some of them who have jobs and visions for themselves and some of them who are entrepreneurs and trying to grow their own thing. But I notice a lot of these people are millennials. Uh, and what would you say to the millennial who doesn't quite know where they're going yet? Uh, they might have a business, but they don't have that three year vision yet. I think you need some vision. You need to figure, and, and it's not, doesn't have to be this. I'm not talking your next 30 years. You know, if you're 30 years old, I'm talking about leaning out to 33. And then when you're 33, lean out to 36. But decide some path to start working towards. And it may completely change for you, but at least you're driving in some direction. You know, it's one of the big reasons that I struggle with, you know, Stephen Norris is on here as well, and Dan Cushell. Um, one of the big problems I have with, with, entrepreneurs reading a book and reading a book and reading a book is the often the books they're reading are very random. What they should be doing is reading a book that's going to drive them towards the vivid vision that they're working on now. You know, they should think about the reading and the learning and the podcast they're listening to to drive them towards something versus just all the randomness because the randomness causes stress and distractions. You know, I think there's a huge problem with people just devouring content where you'd be better off reading a novel. Sure, and I'm certainly guilty of that. And, and I wanted to ask you uh, your opinion. Okay, I can, hopefully I'll, I'll move and this isn't gonna uh, totally screw us up. I'll, I'm gonna walk over to the, to the bookshelf for a second. And I tend to go down rabbit holes on different topics that uh, are at time, you know, are that pop up in the business, right? For, so for example, um, is some books you probably heard. Actually, yesterday we had Mike Michalowicz uh, with Profit First. Um, he yep. was on, yeah, you probably know Mike. Uh, he was on, and then after that, I read Greg Crabtree's Simple Numbers, Straight Talk, Big Profits. Um, yeah, I know Greg. So, so those are two examples. Then I took, actually, geez. Uh, okay, so High Output Management by, uh, by Andrew Grove. You've probably heard of that. That kind of has a, yeah, cult cult classic. Um, I, then I ended up taking a uh, course on law. Uh, there's a, a course called The Great Courses as a company, and they, they just had just primer on basics of law. It was a 20-hour course. I could awesome. jam through it on, uh, on Audible at uh, 1.5 speed or 2x sometimes. Then that kind of brought me further down the rabbit hole into one on, on contracts. Uh, th so there's been, you know, that's just in the last, 
I don't know, a few months. And that's helping me, I think, get towards my vision. But would you say, well, what do you think? Is this, is this random or is this all of a sudden, Matt, hey, you're all over the place. Calm down, man. No, I think it's important stuff that you're learning. And there will be value from some of that. Like learning about contract law is great. You're in business. Learning about contract law is important, right? Um, however, what are your goals that you're focusing on this quarter? And would your learning have been better spent focusing on the reading some of the Harvard Business Review articles or books related to goals that you're focusing on knocking out of the park? You know, like if I'm focusing on building the COO Alliance, um, I've got Steven Sisler just joined. Steven's actually speaking at our September event of the COO Alliance. Sean Stevenson just spoke at our, I think, December event of the COO Alliance. Like I should be reading books about mastermind groups and about building community and about peer-to-peer -peer learning and about uh, marketing high high-priced groups like my, my group the CEO alliance is twenty thousand dollars a year for people to be a part of so i should be learning about that versus yeah it's valuable to learn about you know contract law but i might have more impact learning about what i'm working on um and maybe you allow yourself the freedom to learn some random stuff as well once in a while because you don't know what you're going to pull but I, I like the high roi sure sure and um yeah, I mean, those books were were absolutely invaluable and ones that I, I had a challenge in the business and I said, okay, I need to go find a book on this. And Perfect. it led me to yeah. deeper and deeper on a deeper path for some of these things and a, and a greater understanding. Uh, okay, so that's good. Thank you for re reaffirming me on that, Cameron. And then, okay, $20,000 to join the CEO Alliance, COO Alliance. Tell me, tell me what you guys do in there. That sounds, uh, that sounds fancy. Well, the, the reality is there's almost a, an inordinate number of groups for entrepreneurs. You know, we've got YPO and Vistage and EO and the Genius Network and Baby Bathwater and Maverick and all these places where entrepreneurs go and learn from each other. But and then there's places for marketers to go and engineers and accountants. There's, there's groups for those, but there was never a real group for the second in command. And I really wanted to create a community for the COO or the second in command, regardless of that as a VP ops or a GM title, as long as they're a big enough company, um, a place for them to share with each other and learn from each other and mastermind together and a place where they felt like they were with people like them. The reason we've got even Steven Sisler coming in to speak at our COO Alliance is that he's a, a specialist globally on behavioral traits and personality profiles. So the personality profile of a CEO is very different from the personality profile of a COO. And if the COOs are spending time with all the CEOs, they're not with the right tribe. They're not, they're, they're, they're not focusing on the right things. They're not focusing on operations and execution and culture and meeting rhythms and growth and people. They tend to be focusing on vision and ideas and the big shiny objects, which is great, but they needed their own tribe. So we created a space where they meet, we have five events per year in Scottsdale, and they come to three of those five events. And they work together in breakouts, presenting to the room, sharing problems with the room that the room helps them solve, doing 10-minute talks to the room. Very similar to the Genius Network model, but applied only for the second in command. Cool. Uh, tell me about that, because you have a group for COO, COOs, and uh, if, I believe I understood it correctly where though where the COO doesn't spend as much time on the vision but you also have a book here called vivid vision uh so tell me about maybe maybe you have both things going at the same time is that correct well yeah because the COO needs to know the vision of the entrepreneur to make it come true 
Okay. It's kind of like the contractor needs to know the vision of the homeowner to build the dream home. So every second in command needs to have the vision of their company so that all the employees, suppliers, shareholders, customers, everybody can see what the entrepreneur can see. So I'm trying to get that tool globally to replace mission statements, which have never worked. Right? Mission statements, that one sentence vision is never enough to align everybody. Sure. Okay. So if somebody out there is working for an entrepreneur uh, and they need to show the rest of the team the vision, but they don't have the same personality as the CEO, CEO or they, uh, they don't have the same delivery as this person does, nor should they, how do they deliver that vision? So the, if you're running a business area, let's say that you're the VP of marketing or the head of operations, you can actually write a vivid vision for your business area and roll that out. You can also do a vivid vision for your personal life or for your business life, right? You can actually create your own future, your future self, and then reverse engineer that as well. So I talk about that in the book, Vivid Vision, as well. It's really for the purpose of a leader of an area or the leader of an entire company or the leader of your, your life to create that vision and then reverse engineer that. Okay, so uh, I'll bring, uh, I'll use myself as an example because, well, I, I know how, I, I know what's going on in my day-to-day -day life is I'll get on our daily huddle, for example, 15 minutes every morning, trying to bring the team together. We got people spread off uh, out across all different continents and I'll say, okay, guys, here's, you know, here's the, the main, here's the vision. And I'll lay that out for the day. But then look, uh, there might be 20 people on the call, but they have to execute. And there are certain stakeholders like sales or like marketing or uh, like a regional manager who runs, say, our European office. And they need to deliver that then through the rest of the organization. And they're going to deliver it in a different way than I will. And I can't physically execute on the vision. It just, I'm only one person. It doesn't work. I have to try to present it. But then how do they actually do it? Like, what are the nuts and bolts of how they go and deliver the vision? Yeah, that's really what I tried to cover in my first book, Double Double, was the kind of operational systems that you need to make a vision come true. So the first part of it is you need the right people. You need to know the org chart of your company three years out and start bringing the right people into your company that can make it happen. Very similar to if you're going to build your dream home, you need to have the blueprints to build the home, right? The vision and then the blueprints to build the home. And then you need the right workers who can actually make the blueprints come to reality. You need the right electricians and plumbers and contractors, right? So in your company, you need to have those right employees or right freelancers or right outsource companies that you're going to use to make the vision and plan come true. So you start with the plan, then you get the right people, and then you put the meeting rhythms in place so that everyone has the right meeting rhythms to actually be able to get on the same page, talk, communicate, discuss, debate, make decisions, to then execute on the plan. Okay, excellent. I know, and I'm going pretty quickly and, and kind of, I'm not trying to gloss over it. I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but that, that really is the methodology. No, I, I, I totally understand. Um, let me let me catch my uh, train of thought. Oh, this is what I was going to tell you. Uh, the organization chart three years out. That's fantastic. I'm certainly going to do this. You'll appreciate this, Cameron. So we have um, an intern who just started for us. And she said, hey, uh, can I take a look of a, at an org chart? And we are a 25-person company. And 
Well, we never had a formal org chart because we're a young company and I know what it is, right? I've got the vision and most everybody else understands. And the intern came and she's like, what the hell is going on on here? Can I see this? And well, we said, oh, well, we don't quite have that uh, or that org chart. So I really like that about starting three years, three years out and, and laying that out. Yeah. Now, what I do is I do a three-year org chart a two-year org chart and a one-year org chart. And I share those with everyone in the company so everyone can see what is going to start looking like. It's almost like you can see the elevation drawings of the house before you've poured the foundation. You've got an idea of what it looks like. So then as you start building the walls, you go, oh, I can see where we're going. Now, if you know what your company looks like three years out, you know what it looks like two years out, you know what it looks like one year out, you can start hiring ahead of the curve. You can start hiring the people that you know you're going to need in two years. You hire them a little bit early and you say, look, roll up your sleeves, get dirty. You know, let's work in building this. But this is what we look like in the future. And that's where truly high growth companies accelerate is because they're always hiring ahead of the curve for what they're going to need in the future, not what they need today. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And that had always been a challenge for a young company because at first you can you can hardly afford any employees and uh but and then you think oh geez the person who we're going to need in two years that person's going to be really expensive and then once you get to a certain point so we're just getting to the point where we can get over that that hurdle and uh start to be able to hire a couple years out now remember we don't have to hire them full-time either you can hire fractional people you can get advisors, you can have mentors, you can apply your learning to it. Like if, if you know what that's going to look like, you could have a, a fractional CFO who advises you for the first two years until you need a full-time one. You can, it's, why, it's why really what I do when I coach CEOs and their leadership teams, I'm kind of their back pocket COO. They can't afford to have me full-time, but they can't afford not to have someone like me advising them in their growth as they scale the company because... Otherwise, they're going to learn from their mistakes. Like, why would you want to make mistakes? And I hate that saying, by the way. Oh, learn from your mistakes. It's good. Failure is good. Fuck, failure is not good at all. Failure means you didn't actually have a good mentor to prevent you from failing. It means you didn't have a plan and talk about it and execute. Like, there's a lot of companies that have scaled quite quickly and didn't really fail a ton. I don't, I don't, want, to be the, I don't want to be the group on. Sure, sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. And we've been having these kind of discussions internally because – We've, you know, one person can't really manage more than effectively, I don't think can manage more than four five, six, seven people. You're starting to get really stretched thin. And then how does that scale? Okay, we have one person managing our, our regional managers. And then, well, where do we get another one of those people? So this is, this is uh, yeah, this is really valuable information that you give here, Cameron. Well, and I'll give you a data point on that. I just want to say hi to Stephen Palter, who I'll probably see at uh, Strategic Coach Monday, and Sarah Makamad, who I met at a, an amazing event in Montreal earlier this year. Um, so when you're, when you're um, what was the, the, the point we were talking about that I just got distracted on? That's okay. Uh, we were talking about scaling, and you know, we're looking, for example, with under 30 experiences, we're looking, all right, we have logistics specialists in different countries, but say, we, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Number, number of people. So the, the data point that I've actually come up with is you can have as many as seven or eight direct reports who do different functions. The CEO should only have five direct reports, but they also have culture, the board and legal, which add up to their eight. 
Now, if you're managing the same kind of person, like let's say you're, you're managing regional managers and all the regional managers do the same thing, you could have 10 to 14 of those similar direct reports all doing the same role. You could be a call center manager managing 12 to 14 call center people because they do the same thing. You know, I had when I when Elon Musk's brother Kimball worked for me and his cousin who built Solar City worked for me, um, I, I had 32 franchisees, but all every franchisee did exactly the same thing. So I was really it was easy to manage 32 because I was an expert in it and because they all did the same thing. But you're right. If they're in different functional areas, it's very hard to manage past seven or eight with different functional roles. OK. Uh, and, and when you were scaling 1-800-GOT-JUNK from, I mean, from 2 million to 100 million, that's pretty crazy. Uh, and you did that in a very short amount of time. So was that your secret as you just looked a couple of years out and you knew that it could scale in a certain way? You said, well, this little part of the org chart can just be copied and pasted, I don't know, 10 times over. Is that, yeah. is that what you did? <laughs> that's all we did. Like and 106 million, just I don't want to get ripped off for, for the extra six because we worked hard for that. Excellent. Um, what's funny, here's what was funny. We were doing 2 million in revenue and we were meeting with our lawyer at the time, Andrew Sherman, who's the head lawyer for the International Franchise Association. And we were having drinks with him at the top of the Hyatt in Vancouver. And he asked Brian and I, Brian is the founder. He said, what's your revenue goal for the company five years from now? And without skipping a beat, we both said 100 million. We kind of looked at each other as if to go, where'd that number come from? But it was just from our gut. So that day we created the reverse engineered plan, 100 million back to 60 million, back to 30 million, back to 15, back to seven. And that's literally what we did. Excellent. When we finished five years later, we'd done the 106 million and we, we hit profitability at 59 out of 30 or out of 60 months. We ranked as the number two company in the country to work for, but it was all very reverse engineered plan, right? We knew what we knew what we, what we needed. We knew our three pillars had to be higher prices so we could deliver a lot really strong culture so that we cult would kind of grow everything. And then we had to actually leverage PR because if we owned the press, we would always get that free leverage. Okay. And uh, you mentioned that the CEO can manage uh, maybe five people, but they also have culture, the board and legal that they have to yeah. be managing as well. Talk to me about culture and how you were able to scale culture. Sure. Culture is very much by design. You know, I've coached companies all over the world that rank in the top three in their country to work for. I've coached two of the number ones in Australia, one of the number ones in the U.S., two of the number ones in Canada. No, three of the number ones in Canada. Um, so culture is very much by design, and it's not the free perks. It's not the free stuff you give away. Culture starts with alignment with vision, where everyone can see what the CEO can see, and that's why I codified it in the book Vivid Vision. The second thing around vision is people. It's really having those strong A players most people think they've got an A-level team. I could prove to them over a beer in five minutes they don't. At best, they have Bs or Cs. But a really strong A-level team where your A players are the racehorses, B players are the workhorses, C players should go to the glue factory. If you just have As and Bs, culture starts to really go. Then you have communication protocols, really strong top-down, bottom-up, and lateral communication protocols so that people are heard. They're, they're, they're in on decision-making, they're, they're involved with outward communication, they understand people's roles and responsibilities, like really strong communication across the organization. And then lastly is the environment and giving people the environment to be successful. And that environment includes a, an upside-down org chart where the CEO is at the bottom supporting the VPs, supporting the managers, versus the dictatorial autocratic company, which will never fail. So when you give those four things, that's where culture goes. 
the perks come later. All the free stuff comes after that. Okay, uh, let's, let's wind that back real quick because you said that the C players should go to the glue factory, and I'm pretty sure I know that means they should be uh, hired. We won't, we are fired rather. We won't, uh, I don't know how you make glue with horses. I, I'm, I don't know how that process exactly works, but I get the analogy. But you said if your company only has A players and B players, that's not a good thing? Is that, did you say that? That is a good. No, that, oh, is, that a good is a thing. good thing. Okay, that's what I thought. You do, yeah, you do need to have a lot of good, solid workhorses, right? Not everybody can be a pure A player, but a good number of solid Bs, right, is, is that are going to grind it out and get the stuff done. That's, that's what you need. But you can't have the Cs. You can't have any cultural cancers in the organization. How do you identify cancer? It's probably pretty easy. It's very easy. You can tell within seconds. We do group interviews, so we know in a group interview if they fit or not. We know when you sit around them. I know when you walk in the room if you smell like a smoker. I can tell from someone's energy in the first five minutes when I meet them if they're people that I want to hang with or not. I've had people who are literally on this feed watching right now that I knew within seconds that I wanted to hang out. Right? That's culture. When you know you can feel it, you can taste it versus somebody who you just don't get that warm fuzzy, like you don't want to invite them to your home for for a cocktail party. Um, and then when you bring them into the group, they just, they don't fit. They kind of get ostracized, right? They, they just are the odd one out. Those are the cultural cancers. When you're, when you're presenting an idea and they're complaining about everything or yeah, butting it all without having a couple of potential ideas, you know, it's good to say, here's a problem, but it's really bad if you don't say here are two potential solutions to the problem. I'm okay. If somebody says this can't work, as long as they have a couple of good solutions to it as well. And that's where you know the true A players. are. They're not just complaining. They actually are seeing a potential roadblock, but they come in with a couple of potential solutions. Sure, sure. And you need, you know, if you think of it as a sports team, sports analogies are pretty easy to make. You got the A players, and then you also have bench players, and that makes a complete team. You have the role players totally. as well. That's uh... Yeah, and you can see it on a, You can even see it on a sports team. Years ago, they had a player on the Vancouver Canucks hockey team, Bertuzzi, and he was just a cultural cancer. He was a jackass on the team. By the way, he was a jerk growing up. When we when we knew him growing up in Sudbury in Northern Ontario, he was a jerk then. So he he didn't fit the rest of the humility of the Vancouver Canucks. They were a very level five leadership team. They were very humble. They worked hard. They weren't egomaniacs. They they were just nice guys who all kind of worked hard and grinded it out. And he kind of self-selected himself off the team. You need to do that in an organization as well. Whenever you get rid of this person who's a cultural cancer in an organization, the rest of the people will excel. They'll rally. And they're waiting for you to fire that person. You also don't ever want to have a, a C player quit because then the A and Bs all of a sudden wonder, maybe I should be quitting too. You really want to operate from a position of strength. If you recognize you have a cultural cancer in the organization, you get them out right away. And then that allows the entire company to propel. Beautiful, beautiful. And uh, we have Darren Ray Alstad who says, Cam, that's a brilliant, uh, that's brilliant regarding B players. Nobody says that yet it's 110% practical and real well said. So, uh, and, you. If you, yeah. Yeah, and if you guys have questions or comments or anything like that, feel free to put them on the, on the Facebook Live uh, as, we, as we continue on here. Uh, Cameron, I wanted to ask you about something you said uh, called meeting rhythm. I've, I first heard about this from uh, Vern Harnish. And sure. Sure. yeah, and 
I read it, of course, it was a, I was reading the book in a point of the business where I was like, whoa, wait a second. We don't have any meeting rhythm. And you know, when you're, when you start from nothing, you don't, well, I didn't because I didn't have the experience to say, okay, we need to start with meeting rhythms. We need to have our daily, that's when we implemented our daily huddle. And that's when we implemented our, uh, well, let's see, weekly, you know, some weekly meetings and then uh, some offsites and stuff like that. But I'm curious what your meeting rhythm, suggested meeting rhythm is. Sure. And the reality is we get a lot of people complaining about meetings, but meetings don't suck. We suck at running them. You know, even the reason I wrote the book Meeting Suck was for every, every employee at every company to actually learn how to show up and attend meetings, as well as how to run meetings, as well as what meetings to run. So the basic meetings that every company needs to scale the first one is the annual retreat, where you get the leadership team offsite at least three months prior to the, the start of the year to plan out the vision for the organization for the year, the core five goals for the year, which I have as your employee net promoter score, customer net promoter score, profit goal, your revenue goal, and then the strategic thrust for the year. And I do them in that order, employee success first, then your customer net promoter score second, then profit, then revenue. Then once you figure out where you're going, you do a reset on the plan from the prior year, we figure out the SWOT as to where we are as the current state for the company, and then we map out from our goal as to where we want to go, not predicting where we're going to be, but figuring out where we want to be and what we need to do to get there. And I think a lot of companies really screw this up, is they try to forecast their growth. I'm like, forget forecasting. Why don't you decide where you want to be and reverse engineer that and put the plan in place to make it happen? And that's where the really strong accelerated growth comes from. Like I've coached a guy in Toronto now for the last four years who's gone from 3.8 million to 52 million in four years. He didn't forecast that. He decided that, right? And then you figure that out. The other things that happen at the annual retreat are a little bit of team building. I have all of my leadership teams do one new personality profile per year. So last year we had everyone at the COO Alliance do a Colby profile. This year, everyone at the COO Alliance is doing a disc profile. Next year we'll do it. And, and I want some area of learning more on how to work together and how to learn from each other and how to understand each other. So that happens at the annual retreat as well. Uh, and then the team building. And I do all of my annual retreats at like a big chalet or a summer home where everyone hangs out in shorts and t-shirts and we make breakfast and dinner together. And, you know, we might bring a chef in at one event, but we spend three days, two and a half days at that place together versus sitting in some hotel. Um, and then I do the same idea for a one day every quarter. And it happens three day or three months, sorry, three weeks prior to the start of each quarter, we do a quarterly retreat to press reset on the plan and to make sure we understand the core projects we're gonna to do to make the goals happen. Next thing we do is we have a financial meeting. Every month we have the leadership team review the financials and we go through the balance sheet, the pro forma cash flow and the P&L together. Um, we also will at times pull out the entire general ledger and look at every single expense to look for waste in the organization and trying to treat it like we're bootstrapping and running it you know, as if it was our own money. Uh, we also have a strategy meeting. Every month we have a one or a half day strategy meeting where we talk about stuff at least a year out on the calendar. So we think about the company in the future and then try to think about strategically what might we be facing. Like right now, we're facing a recession. It's coming. We're about eight years now since the last one. If you're not talking about what your company is going to do when this downturn comes, you're going to have to react to it instead of planning to be ahead of that curve. Um, then I have a weekly management team meeting where we meet for an hour. It's 20 minutes of each person doing their updates. Then it's 20 minutes reviewing the dashboard together. And then it's 20 minutes helping people get unstuck. We have our, our weekly one-on-one -on -one coaching meeting where each 
you know, VP coaches their directors, and that's a balance of direction, development, and support. And then we do our daily huddles. Now, wow. That sounds like a lot of meetings. It sounds like a lot of meetings, but when those rhythms happen, that's where you get shit done. Okay, excellent. And I love how you said you decide you don't forecast. Uh, that's, right. that's, that's excellent. Um, okay, I want to switch gears to the personal side a lot of – uh, a little bit. Oh, I wanted to shout out Steve, Steven Sisler here. He says, got to run, but great information, guys. Thanks for, for joining yeah, us. Thank Steven. Excellent. Uh, okay, so if we switch gears to uh, talking about the personal side, because you said you can do this. You can create the vivid vision for yourself. And then also, it seems to me that you should probably have a meeting rhythm with yourself. Uh, so I'm curious what your personal vision is uh, and what your meeting rhythm looks like. Sure. So quarterly, it's just to take some time and get off site and spend a half day without technology, thinking about what my goals are for the quarter. I believe that we've got five Fs, friends, family, faith, fitness, and finance. And you can't have all five of those in balance all the time. So every quarter I pick two to obsess about. So this quarter it's, it's finance and fitness. Last quarter it was friends and family. So I'll pick two and I'll really go deep on spending time on those two things. Okay, very good. And then and re rereading your personal vivid vision on a weekly basis, just taking time and rereading it or actually audio recording yourself and listen to it every week. Cool. Cameron, do you mind sharing your vision with, uh, with our audience? Too personal? I, it's actually, there's a copy of it in the book, Vivid Vision. They can pick it up. It's Beautiful. I shared all of them. Beautiful. Yeah. And I love how that you are a realist uh, about the five F's and that uh, you can't have them all at, at the same time. I, I think it's completely impossible to have that complete balance. I think balance is almost something that you strive towards. But if you're if you think that you're going to be balanced, it's like trying to get to the horizon. You'll never get to the horizon. So why don't we pick two things to improve on and be happy with our improvement and then pick two more things to improve on. Right. So that you're always driving to get better at things, but you're also looking in the rearview mirror to see how far you've come and be excited about what you've achieved. That's awesome. I had a, a buddy, buddy's dad in college, and he said, you know, Matt, there's, there's three important things in life. He said, a car, a good woman by your side, and a place to live. And he, he said, for most of my life, I've had at least two out of the three. There you go. Yeah, so... A quick hello to Cliff Brom. Cliff was one of our very first franchisees at 1-800-GOT-JUNK. I just saw him join. So kind of thanks for believing in us back then, man. Amazing. Amazing. Um, this, is, this has been really cool, Cameron. And of course, I want to be respectful of your, of your time. And uh, rarely do, I shouldn't say rarely, but it's not so often that I have a podcast that we cover so much in so little time that I need to go back and listen to it. But I was trying to scramble notes down here, but it can be really, yeah, it was, it was tough to keep up with a lot of the information. So this might be a, a, a listen twice uh, for a lot of people out there. We could also, why don't we also schedule another one? We can do another Facebook live together in like in a month or something. We'll just pick a date and time. We'll push it out to our communities and we'll do one together live then. Beautiful. Beautiful. That be fun. That, that sounds really good, Cameron. I, I want to leave everybody with a little bit of an uh, actionable advice so that they can leave here and they can go out and take the first step on establishing their vivid vision. So uh, what would you tell them? 
So, and, and we, I've got to finish on this. I've got a hard stop at the top of the hour. Um, I would say that you go off-site for half a day, and I can even send you a link to, uh, to a chapter from Double Double that covers Vivid Vision, which they can get for free and they can read it. Start by reading that. Um, but get off-site, go away from your home, away from your office, no laptop, no technology, take a notepad and a pen, and start doing a mind map and dreaming about your business or your personal self three years from now. And don't worry about how it's gonna come true, just start thinking about what it looks like in the future and just trust enough that if you write down your ideas of what you can imagine the future looking like, that later you'll be able to put the plan in place to make it come true. So start with that. Don't worry about the how. Don't get stuck in how pies. Just worry about where you're going. Cameron Heralds, uh, you are the man inspiring. The book is Vivid Vision, a remarkable, oh God, I can't read my own handwriting, a remarkable tool <laughs> for uh, aligning your business around a shared vision of the future. Can you drop a link for everybody that we'll uh, put in the show notes on under30experiences.com slash blog? Sure, well, I'll, uh, I'll get you the link to it on Amazon for sure. Absolutely. Where can then, everybody uh, check you out? Oh, yeah. The main, main website is the COOalliance.com. And by the way, our new podcast, the Second in Command podcast, the Chief Behind the Chief, is launching today on iTunes. So um, hopefully you, you go to the links and they're actually live. They're being, everything's being tested within the next hour, but that's going to be a great listen as well. We're only interviewing second in commands. We're not interviewing any entrepreneurs. Excellent. Excellent. Cameron, I yeah, will I let you go. I the rest of the story. Thanks, Matt. Beautiful. Thanks for your time. See you, Cameron. Appreciate it, buddy. Take care. Bye-bye. Ciao. Hey, are you looking for an adventure? Are you looking to take your life to the next level to reflect, to retreat, to figure out what the next steps for you are? If so, I would love for you to come to Bali, Indonesia with me and my girlfriend and yoga teacher, Luz Garcia. We are staying in the Malayang village in an amazing villa and we want a dozen people to come with us this September 30th for this yoga and mindfulness retreat to combine it with some incredible adventure on this sacred island, the island of gods as they call it. Uh, we're going to have cultural experiences that we have set up over the last five years operating on the island of Bali uh, through under 30 experiences going into the homes and temples of the local people. We're going to have a uh, children's orchestra lesson. Uh, we have really nice little causes that we support in this village in Bali. It's going to be an incredible experience. If you want more information, you can email me directly, maddenunder30experiences.com, and know you do not have to be under 30. We are an inclusive group rather than an exclusive group, and if you are a podcast listener, that would be amazing to have you out there. We're going to throw out $100 off right now using the code LIVEDIFFERENT, and I would love to take our relationship to the next level and have you be part of our community. Check it out, under30experiences.com.